0: Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Emma Carter. Emma has personal experience of supporting her daughter with an eating disorder. Emma started to jot down a few notes about her experience, which has now led to her writing a book through the lens of a mother's eye and the depths of a mother's heart regarding the highs and lows of her daughter's battle with anorexia. By describing their journey, Emma hopes to help others on a similar path, which can sometimes feel lonely, isolating, and sometimes shameful.
1: Hello, Emma. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to finally meet you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's it's honestly such a pleasure. Um, I don't remember how we met. I think it was on Twitter. Um, But I remember sort of like reading the tweets that you were writing and stuff like that. And I just thought, wow, like this, this is a, this is a lady I really want to speak to. And then I was just saying to you before we started, after reading the you know a few pages of your book I was just like yep this is a podcast that is definitely
1: happening oh thank you so much because I think it's one of those things that you think is this going to help anybody because that's Mm -hmm. one of the things why you start writing it's and then to have some feedback and you're like oh wow yes it is even though deep down you know that if it can help somebody that's that's really amazing and I suppose I just wanted to share it from a from a mum's perspective from a parent's perspective you know how awful it is at times dealing with somebody with an eating disorder
0: yeah yeah and I think you know you have had your own experience so I'm sure that you will know that hearing other people's experience can often be it really not refreshing that's the wrong word but it it's like in that moment um and you know whenever i talk about it i'm gonna talk about it from like what my mum has said to me um so i'm gonna try and not assume that everything is how you're feeling but um i'm gonna yeah say it from her perspective um in that like you know it can be such a lonely time and i know for my mum she massively just blamed herself but she equally didn't want to tell anybody because she was like well everyone's just gonna think that it's my fault which couldn't be further from the truth but then um, my mum's actually been going to some beat support groups and to listen to other people say, you know, I'm experiencing this, or I don't know how to navigate this, or this is how I've navigated this. I think that kind of those conversations and just being able to hear from somebody else that you're not the only person experiencing it, because um, it's an odd one, isn't it? Because it's not you that's going through the eating disorder, but ultimately it is you going through it because you're watching your loved one experience that, and it it impacts your life so much.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think I think for me as well, it's one of those things that I never, ever in my wildest dream ever expected to my daughter or any of my family to have an eating disorder. I just I wasn't even looking for it. Um, And my child was one of those that never got into trouble, never really had to tail off, never lied to me. So for me to kind of be faced with why actually is that right You know, could she be lying to me that it was just it just wasn't something that I that I was expecting at all. And I found that really, really hard as we kind of navigate navigated that through. And as you were just saying about, you know, and, and as a parent, um, I, one of the things that I was found was that when my daughter sort of fell down sort of in the playground and she hurt her, she hurt her leg and she'd cry and she'd obviously come to you, wouldn't they? And to try and make it better and you'd give them a hug or you'd give them a magic plaster that always seemed to do it. Um, and now I found myself that actually, do you know what? I can't. I can't give her the magic plaster. I can't give her a hug. And in the beginning, I literally just thought, what on earth you know is it an eating disorder how do i get it better and i just spent so much time looking through the internet feet were amazing i've got to i've got to really praise them they were so helpful to me because i i just literally consumed my life reading anything and everything that i could to try and help to try and be that magic plaster if if you like, for my daughter. Um, And I think if it wasn't for people like that and organisations like that, I think I would have still been (laughs) running around, if you like, and not necessarily knowing uh, what what to do for my daughter.
0: Mm, Yeah, it's it's just very strange for me because this is literally like talking to my mum, which is also, you know, hard to hear. Um, But I think you're so right and that sort of those qualities that you were saying both about your daughter and you know and always being a good child and never needing to tell her off or anything like that but then you know you being a mum that does really want to help and really cares I think they're very common sort of characteristics I guess how okay where should we start with this I've got so many questions (laughs) how did you initially noticed or realised that something was different with
1: Poppy? Um, I think it it sounds weird, but it kind of all crept up on me. So it happened around Covid time where she she had social anxiety. We were trying the best to manage that as much as we can, but that got worse. And working um, from home kind of seemed to make it it even worse. And I put some of more of the anxiety due to that because we didn't have the restructure and there seemed to be, she was doing more and more homework and and recognising now that she has got those perfectionist says things have to be perfect if she's doing a piece of work. And then unfortunately I was working from home as well, but I was working really long hours with hardly any gaps or sometimes I wouldn't have time to probably grab a sandwich because I'd have meeting after meeting. Mm that i i wasn't able to to kind of track if that makes sense of whether she's eating and and i didn't think i needed to because there was no alarm bells going on and and it was just things that kind of crept into it and we started around lockdown there was the exercise there was a really big focus wasn't there about let's do some exercise and there was various things and I thought oh wow that's a cool thing for you know mum and daughter to do together let's do that because we're we're stuck in what else can we do um and that was good fun initially but then it kind of crept up and it was gone from sort of three three days to four days and then at one point it was every day and I was like why are you doing it every day and really going, you know, going to town and kind of trying to explain, well, actually, you don't need to exercise every day. You need rest periods. You need this. And then seemed to kind of calm down. And I noticed there was a little bit of anxiety around food, but we were still eating okay. Things were doing all right. And then it was just, it's funny, you've got this gut instinct that you think something's not quite right, but you can't put your finger on it. And it's only afterwards when you start joining the dots, you go, how it was there, it was so obvious, but I just didn't join the dots. But it was things like uh, where you just thought, that just looks as if it's strategically placed, the food that's been with a few crumbs. And and it was just putting everything through together that you think, then I realised. But then, unfortunately, it was too late when I'd realised, if if that makes sense. I think it kind of, the eating disorder had really got a grip on her then, um, unfortunately.
0: Mm. I mean, I think what you've just described is, so ridiculously common i think part of it is eating disorders are so discreet in the behaviors and also a lot of the things that you just described could potentially be seen as good things you know you were you were in lockdown you were exercising that's great you're getting whether you're getting outdoors or just kind of having some a change of scenery from maybe you know sitting at a laptop or or whatever you were doing and, you know, I think sometimes as well, I'm not saying this was Poppy's experience, but um if somebody kind of changes their diet, sometimes that can be seen as a positive because they're eating more healthy or whatever. But one thing and you might not have the answer to this because it's a it's a difficult question, but like retrospectively, you know, you said, Oh, totally now, like I joined the dots up and it was kind of, you know, obvious. In retrospect, I think so many people say that in terms of it was really obvious that all those signs were there and those 10 telltales, but often that's because you've realized there's an issue and you've gone and done all your research and then you know the signs to look for. So if somebody is kind of thinking potentially something's up, how do you think that you could kind of cut that before things do progress into an eating disorder? Because I think retrospectively we can all do that, but that's the difficult moment.
1: Yeah, I think if you have any inkling at all, I think that that any inkling at all, I would just go and seek help because I think sometimes just chatting about it, you know, you can see the signs. But sometimes if somebody else can piece it together, I think one thing I'm really grateful for is, as, as you mentioned, I've got my book, but I've had other people contact me. And they've sort of said, and it's so obvious when you when you see what they're talking about, and you I had um when you I had somebody contacting me and their daughter was running upstairs after they'd eaten, they were getting really distressed um after every meal time and they were there were so many things that you were like, that is you know, having gone through it, you can see it, but when you're in it, you you, you can't see it. So I think my biggest thing was if you do have any kind of inkling gut instinct I think for me is I had those gut instincts but I didn't really listen to it and um, and I noticed throughout this my gut would be saying not quite sure there's something I couldn't always put my finger on it when I think I'm sure that's not exactly the right amount and, and I'd often say that I think my daughter was a bit like um, she could be a magician because her hand and eye coordination was absolutely amazing. And she would be able to just very quickly um, take something out of the meal that I've given her. And I literally wouldn't have seen it. And I might have been I've looked down. I've looked across or I've done something. But I'd always have that feeling in my tummy that something was not quite right. And I think if you've got that inkling as a parent go and see somebody because they can check them over you know with a health their health with regard to their weight and height they can that because that was one of the things that we picked up she she hadn't really got the huge weight loss because of the baggy clothes all those kind of things but well, everything together you know the way in it the 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 bloods all those kind of things pointed out that she'd been starving for a while but we just didn't see it at the time mm.
0: Yeah, I mean it's I think that's excellent advice, you know, if you do have that income, because what's the worst that's gonna happen? Um, you know, if if everything is okay, then everything is okay. One thing I really want to ask you um is this is totally based on my experience, but my my behaviours sound really similar to your daughter's, um, and you know, hiding things and, and being very secretive. When my mum and dad said to me you know, they sat me down and they said, "We're we're worried. You know, we've we've recognised these things." And I was just was like, "I just shut down." Like, no, no, no. You you're making things up, or that's not true. It's it's fine. H- how did you navigate that situation? Was that your experience? Because I think ultimately, at the start, definitely of an eating disorder, it's like the person and the eating disorder are in this little gang together. They really don't want to be found out. So there are a lot of lies and things. So. How did you navigate those
1: sorts of situations um i think for me getting help was the difficult bit if that makes sense so so i didn't really have the discussion with her that she had the eating disorder because i wasn't quite sure exactly what it was and then once i was trying to get help we go we went to the our local gp who was who was amazing and they they were really supportive and we were able to get the right referral and I think it was a phone call. We were literally, we'd just gone for bloods in the GP practice and we were sat in the car and they rang us. And they were asking her all those questions about her anxiety around food, what she could eat, what she couldn't eat, um, what about the exercise that she was doing, and it was all coming out. And I was just, I remember just sat there thinking, oh my gosh, I didn't realise it was this bad. And I think that to us was just a moment where she just cried. And so I didn't think I had to actually say to her at that point, you've got an eating disorder. I think we could clearly see that she was really unwell. And and I sort of kind of pitched it as to her that, you know, if there was a, for example, if their train had derailed, you wouldn't be expecting me to put the, put the train back on the track you would be expecting a specialist team to put it back on the track because otherwise I'm not going to be able to do it. So I kind of said to her that actually we need help. We need help to get that train back on the track so that it can keep going. And that's kind of how I played it with her, that actually we do need help. And it's clear to see that you're really quite distressed about that. So I didn't necessarily use those words, but even now she really doesn't like, there's certain words that she doesn't like. So if I was to say anorexia, anorexia, she would, she would, you can just see her flinch. Um, and so often I have to say A-N or eating disorder, I have to say A-E-D because she just, she just can't, she can't say those words or hear those words. Um, so I kind of use the different thing that actually we need help.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's absolutely amazing that you used, you know, that analogy of if know a train derailed you wouldn't be expecting me because i think often a lot of the time i know my experience has been my mum has felt that it was her job to sort it out or to fix it um have you ever thought you know oh this has got to be like you know i've got to kind of take control here and i've got to kind of sort sort what's going on with poppy out or did you not have that and if you have had those kind of thoughts what did it kind of take to realise that actually, yes, you could be there to support, but ultimately it had to come from Poppy and the sort of team that were supporting her?
1: Yeah, I think it's really hard, isn't it? Because we've kind of gone through so many stages, like in the beginning. I remember just trying to get her to eat because um, she was one of those children that loved fruit. She loved a bowl of fruit. Honestly, she would like go back for seconds. But even through this, it was something that she couldn't eat. So I remember trying to get her to eat one segment of a satsuma something that she would have done and I remember sitting down and you know this is shows wh- wh- where I was initially logically your body needs this and I drew I'm not a good drawer but I drew the heart I drew all the structures to try and say to her you know this is this is what you need and as a car this is what you need you need to feel it trying to get her anyway to eat that satsuma and it wasn't and then i recognised that actually i need help i've tried everything i could not just that but there's various other things that distraction so i needed that specialist help but then when she came home from the hospital because she was she was admitted to hospital at that point I, re- you know, I've then realised that actually it's on my shoulders. I have to go back to the basics, so I have to make sure that I, I don't allow her to go to the bathroom afterwards. I have to try and make sure that she doesn't restrict and, um, and having to do all those things, and um, and I I do find that hard. And and, and I and, I think throughout this, you kind of like I've supported Poppy, and had to um. I've had to take in the lead and there's been occasions where I've had to let Poppy lead um, on that. But I have found that struggle. And I think as a parent, if your, if your loved one is at risk, you've got to step in. And I know that she says to me at the moment, Mum, it has to come from me, but she's often still very exhausted. So she's still got a low mood so right now, that change isn't necessarily going to happen. So I need to be the change for her until she's got enough of the oomph or the, or the fight or whatever it is to to push forward. Um, and I just kind of see that I'm just in that role where I'm kind of back and forth, back and forth. Um, I kind of think that I'm just – I'd like to say gently pushing, but I don't think it's sometimes gentle because <laughs> sometimes I'll say, right, you know, let, let's do this and let's do that, and I'm having – I'm having to to take over that balance but it it is really hard to have a balance and I think I am a fix-it mum as well which doesn't always help because I want to fix it and I know sometimes she said to me actually mum I don't want you to fix it I was like what do you mean you don't want me to fix it in in my head I'm going but I want to I don't like seeing you in this distress but sometimes she just wants to offload sometimes she just wants to be to tell me how awful it is for her and how much distress she's in for it. And in a way, I kind of recognise that that is a way for me to fix, because that's what she needs from me. And sometimes she just needs a hug. And so in my fix-it mode, I think, well, oh, actually, yeah, that's OK, because I am fixing it, but not in the way that I want to fix it. Mm-hmm. And and at the moment, I'm having to work with her. We're trying to work on the fear foods. But she's particularly struggling at the moment with standing and sitting so that's something that I'm having to go right okay we set a timer so any minutes if she stood up she needs to sit down and she's not necessarily going to do the timer so I have to so I have to even though that, oh all the moans and groans that you get I know that I've got to take a role on that until she can start doing that herself
0: I think you've absolutely knocked the nail on the head. I think it's very easy to say like recovery has to come from the person and like you can only be there to support and stuff. But I think that's totally dependent on somebody's situation. And that, like you said, at what point of recovery they're at, because at the end of the day, you, you, have to do recovery for quite a while until you get to a point where you think actually maybe I do want this recovery. And so, you know, if somebody is really, really struggling and you're just expecting them to, you know, make their meal plan and eat that on their own and not go and exercise or engage in other behaviours that, you know, are part of the eating disorder, that's probably not gonna happen. Um so I really like that and I I don't think I've really thought about that myself before, that it is so situation dependent and so individual and then you know i think hopefully over time you can you can loosen the reins a bit and you can give someone a bit more of their independence but when they're so consumed by an eating disorder you know the the thought of going against that eating disorder is absolutely horrific so if you've got the choice to not do it I think especially at the start of recovery you're probably not going to and if you can be there to support um I always really like the the dolphin analogy that you know like all the bee animals um that they do and I think even a dolphin you know if you think about like a mother mother, baby dolphin yes it's swimming alongside but it probably does sometimes stick its nose to say no no we need to go that way or whatever like give it a little tap or whatever so it's not necessarily you know the barking of a terrier or whatever um but it's it's that that is that is support really isn't it it's giving yeah. somebody some gentle direction when it's needed
1: yeah, definitely. And and I sometimes like to put myself in my daughter's shoes if mm-hmm. I can. So I sometimes think, you know, if I was to look at a new habit, so if there was something, for example, I'm trying to read every day if I can, and I might start off really well and I'll go, right, okay, yeah, I've done it. Day one, I've read a chapter, that's brilliant. Okay, so the next day I might do another one. But the next day I'll go, well, oh, actually, do you know what? I've got something much more exciting to do. Or oh, I don't want to do it today, I'll do it tomorrow. And then I'll do it the next day. So I just think for us... Any way to change your habits is really hard. But when you've got an eating disorder as well and you're tired, you're exhausted and your mood's not very low and you've got all those things. So you're bombarded by all of your your thoughts in your head. But yet you still have to to do that. It's really hard, which is why I think it's really important that I do do. uh, I don't like to call it nagging but maybe it is a little bit of necking. Um and uh, maybe eye rolling we might get from her sometimes, but I just have to, I just have to ignore that and <laughs> just go, yes or no, but can you sit down, please? And she just said to me, mum, it doesn't make any difference you say in the please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes I'll just kind of mix it up really. And, and so, so I just try and think, well, if that was me, how would it be? It's hard enough for me. When I don't have an eating disorder, and when you throw that into the mix, it's going to be much harder.
0: I mean, and I think it is a massively difficult thing to go through. And I suppose on that topic, you know, it sounds like you have been absolutely amazing and in supporting Poppy and and really helping her. But I think you know, one thing that I've definitely noticed is that in order to help somebody else, you do have to help yourself as well. So, what sorts of things do you do to make sure that you know you can stay? supporting poppy by kind of you know keeping up your energy and and making sure you don't burn out
1: yeah i, th- I think it's probably fair to say that actually i have <laughs> i've fallen yeah. into that trap um and especially in the beginning where you know we didn't know if she was going to survive and she was in hospital and they said look you know we don't we, we're not sure about how heart it could it could give up at any moment and i people say to you look When they're in hospital, you do what you can to look after yourself. But, you know, when you're scared, petrified that you don't necessarily know if she's going to survive and you're working full time, you've got a house to run, you've got a a son to also um, to be there for, your priority priority of yourself is right at the bottom. And, and my priority was my daughter and making sure that she got through there and trying to encourage her to eat, trying to to be the motivator, if, if you like, or anything that I could do to, to help her to eat. So I forgot about myself completely in all of this. And I think it really took me to kind of hitting rock bottom, I think. Mm-hmm. To be fair, you know, I was exhausted, surviving a little sleep, and I remember having um I had to have some counselling because I was just crying and I just remember and I couldn't tell you why I was crying. And I just cried for days. It was like they talk about, don't they, when you you turn the tap on and he just wouldn't stop. I couldn't turn the tap off. And anything and everything made me cry. It, It wasn't anything specific. And I just had this overwhelming emotions in me. And I spoke to a really good friend and she said to me that she thinks it was everything everything that I'd gone through, all the emotions of trying to be strong, trying to help her, that I'd forgotten all about myself. I'd forgotten all of the emotions. I'd kind of locked them in. And this was just a way of them all coming out, which is why I went for the counselling. And she made me see that not only was my daughter's life consumed by the eating disorder, but mine was too. And it took me a little while to kind of go, "No, no, I don't agree. But then when I thought about it, she was right. So literally from the time I got up to the time I went to bed, that's all I thought about. I read books, I went on courses, you name it. Everything I possibly can do was involved around that. I'd message her if she was in hospital, I'd be ringing up the ward or because I was worried about X, Y, and Z, if she, there was things that she was telling me that, that, that she was worried about. And even when, if I went out with friends, They'd ask me how Poppy was and I and I'd be talking about it so that's all I spoke about and they just said that actually you know you need to have some time away from this and I was like oh my gosh they're right and also she said to me but what kind of role model are you for your daughter if you if you if you are too, if you are also consumed by this and and it was a bit of a wake up call for me so what she encouraged me to do is have pockets of time so, so she said, for example, if you've got a cup of tea, you know, p- which may sound strange, but pick up that cup of tea really mindfully. So, you you know, you can feel the weight of the cup. You guys, you taste it. You can feel, you know, you can feel the temperature. You can taste the tea and be in that moment for that cup of tea. And then she, I, I it sounds silly, but toothpaste, brushing my teeth. That was one of the things. And I. Normally, when I brush my teeth, I will be putting something away or I'll be doing something else and I'll be multitasking. And she was going, just concentrate on that one task. And that was really hard because I'm used to doing too many things to go to the hospital or to do to do all the and and. But that was just the starting point, I think, for me. It was like, but well, what else can I do just for me? But if you were to say to me, I need you to spend an hour doing something for you, I'd have been like, whoa, no way, I don't have time. But five minutes here and five minutes there actually made me feel a little bit better. And it was not thinking about eating disorder. And when... Um, poppy and i go for a walk sometimes that i will we'll have a bit of a kind of a moan and a groan if you like about what's happening in that day and then we'll go right okay by the time we get to the lamppost that's it we're not going to be talking about anything else we're not going to be talking about eating disorders or anything related to to that we're going to be talking about something else and there was a period where we'd go i don't know what else to talk about well no i don't know what to talk about either and before you knew we would be talking about it again And then we would have to go right can we stop it now and it, we got into a habit, if you like, of it just consuming every part of our day. And I and I remembered what she said and I thought, yeah, I want to show her that there is a life outside of this. Mm-hmm. And she needs to see that. And not only she needs to see it, but actually I need to see it as well, Yeah, because it's really hard. And um, and like you have seen in the beginning, it can affect all of the family members um, in this and so not just the sufferer. And I think that's a hard balance to have as well, because I know with my daughter, she doesn't like the impact that it has on me. She can see that. Um, she's one of those, I think they call them a super feeler. So she knows when I walk into the room what kind of mood I'm in. So I try not to do that because I don't want her to feel bad that she's in this situation. And I've always said to her that something good will come out of this. And for me, it's opened my eyes. I am such... A different person to what I was before um, and I have grown and we've got so much closer my son and I and my daughter of I so something is really good to come out of this but yes it's still horrible
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely but I think everything that you've just described is, is so important and I think, you know, making sure that you have your own time. And that's a really good tip of like maybe having five minutes here or there, because to say an hour or like a whole evening, you'd be like, I can't possibly do that. Like I don't have the time. But those nuggets of time, you know, could feel maybe not a lot. And then over time, hopefully they can increase a bit. But I also really liked what you were saying about kind of the conversations that you and Poppy will have, because I think. I have found that recently and that like when I talk to my mom, all I, we talk about is how I'm doing and the eating disorder and stuff. And it almost then makes you think if I don't have this eating disorder, mm-hmm. then what are we going to talk about? Like, will they like me still? If I don't have the eating disorder, will they care for me still and stuff? And that is like, it entrenches it even further into if I don't have this, then you know this is the only thing that people currently talk to me about. So God knows what they will talk to me about. Um, and I wanted to talk a bit about you know, obviously you've spoken about the impact that it's had on you, but you just said there that like you and your son have also got closer so how how did you navigate that because I can imagine when you know especially when Poppy was in hospital, that's really difficult, and your mind would be completely on that. And I'm sure you know still now um in recovery it is, but then there's also another child that needs your support, and it's no less important to provide that support but I guess eating disorder inpatient sometimes can feel a bit more like well that needs my attention.
1: Yeah I I think that was really hard for me because I think you're drawn to both Um, and being a single parent it's really hard anyway because to you know you try to get the balance between both children but particularly when uh, you know if I was working full-time and then and then I'd have to go and go and see her and then i was mindful that she didn't want me to leave because she so she didn't want me to leave but then equally i knew that i had to go home and i wanted to spend some time with him and as a parent you have that guilt you kind of have that guilt if you're with one what, what about the other and, and i don't think at times i always got it right and and I th- and I, it was only not long ago actually that I actually apologised to my son. So, and it was really writing the book that made me kind of see it from his perspective. And and I'd thought about myself and how I'd lost my daughter. So that fourteen year old that started with the, with the anorexia, um, that person that we used to have all those much fun together, those giggles and all the things that we love doing had gone, you know, the person that that she was in front of her, isn't the same person. And equally, I often say to her, I know that you're not going to be the same person. You're going to be much stronger and have much more resilience, but I still miss those things as a pairing that you do, you know, like mum and daughter go shopping or mum and daughter go for a coffee and all those kind of things that we're not quite up to doing all the time. And, I'd had sort of like snippets, if you like. So when my daughter was in hospital, I would spend some more time with my son and go, right, well, and I'd try and balance it. But I did say to him the day, and I said, I'm really sorry that I hadn't thought about you in this equation in, in relation to that you have missed your sister. Mm-hmm. And he said, yes. And I know, I, and, and I just kind of thought, how did I not see that? And I just hadn't thought that he'd missed his sister he'd missed the friend because you know that there's three years dif- age difference between them and they are like any brothers and sisters they have the arguments but they are really close as well and I and I just thought oh my gosh I hadn't seen that so I said to him I'm really sorry that I hadn't recognized yeah. that and that loss that he had um and and how hard it was in him and he he doesn't talk about it very much and and he doesn't always open up, but I always sort of say to him, look, if you want to talk about things, then then do let me know. But I try to get that balance, but it's not always easy, really, especially I found at mealtimes when she was really distressed that she'd need me before and afterwards, and I wasn't always able to give him as much attention as I really wanted to. But he got it, if that makes sense. But as a parent, it really pulls at your heartstrings because you just want to split yourself into two. But you know that you can't and I've got to say as well this is really hard to admit but sometimes when you're when you know when they talk about your cup overflowing and often I felt as if my cup was overflowing and if some somebody else had another problem I could cope so I was like I can't cope with anybody else in the household having a problem and and I had to sort of talk to myself and go well actually that's not fair he's entitled to his issues and problems and I am he's entitled to come and speak to me so it was about making sure that she recognized that as well so we weren't just solely focused on that and I had to make sure that we try and get a better balance but I'm still working on it I think that's fair to say.
0: I really love your, your honesty, because I think sometimes, you know, we can have these conversations and it's very helpful to listen to how you do it now. But when it sounds like you've got it all pieced together, it then can sometimes be even more isolating because it's like, well, I don't know how to navigate this. So, you know, the fact that you, you still are navigating through that and working out the best way to get through it, I think is really refreshing to hear. And I really like what you said about kind of that, feeling like your your cup's overflowing because I think my mum has definitely done that as well and like you know whether it was talking to my dad or herself or somebody else like you know if they had a complaint or an issue it's like well my daughter's got an eating disorder like that that's horrific like everything else is trivial but actually like everything is relative to everybody's experience and being able to really you know just kind of balance things and weigh them up and think you know that is really tough actually what somebody else is going through um and give people that space and I think you kind of described it perfectly in regards to your to your son in that just giving him that space to talk about if he wanted to not being forceful and being like how is this making you feel and like you know what do you want to do about it? how do we resolve it but you know if you need to I'm here to talk about it um mm-hmm. and how it's impacting you I think that's the best way rather than kind of forcing it out
1: yeah, and I think I found with my son that he's so insightful. So he might not say much, but when he does, you kind of go, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I remember that um, the third time um, Poppy was, um, unfortunately, she, she had to go into intensive care and her heart got down to 26 beats per minute. And, you know, that was it was bad enough the first time. But th- when the consultant said to us, look, I cannot guarantee that she's going to survive this. That you know, we were you know, we were both petrified at this point. And he said to me, he said to me, Mum, um, her fear of eating is much higher um, is, than her fear of dying. And I thought, he was so right. Um, because she just didn't, she didn't care about dying. She just didn't. Her fear was so intense that just the thought of of eating just absolutely petrified her and, and i just thought gosh he's so right so even though he never said much when he did it you and and he was and it was also a way then we could talk about it so sometimes when he came to you and he said those things and that was an opportunity then for me to talk to him um and so he kind of given me a way in if that makes sense so sometimes it was just about waiting for him to come to me rather than me come to him
0: yeah and I think that's often the case with, with some people, isn't it? It's, it's waiting for them to come to you. He sounds very much like my dad in that doesn't really say a lot, but when he does, you're like, mm, yeah, pretty spot on there. Yeah. Um, and in terms of kind of um, looking after yourself and on that topic, um, you, when I was like talking to you about your book and stuff, you said that that, was something that you started to just write a few notes down. Was that something that started as like a a way of looking after yourself in terms of journaling and stuff? Or how did that start for you?
1: Yeah, it it did. I think you're right on that one. So I, I went through the emotions of feeling quite frustrated. And if I'm honest, and again, this is hard to admit, feeling quite angry but not necessarily Mm. angry at Poppy but angry of the situation and angry where we found ourselves and and also maybe jealous if you like or envious of other people when you you know when you look on your Facebook or you look on your social media and everybody's posting their holiday pics or everybody's doing this and that and you're thinking we can't go anywhere we're stuck Mm. in the house we can't walk anywhere because if we do then that would mean that there's calories you know everything's being burnt Mm. off so anything we put on And we were kind of cocooned in our house, but yet yet the world was still happening outside us. And I just went through all those of like, angry of the life that we've lost, angry that she's in this situation and just... And people probably wouldn't tell because it was kind of all in me, if you like, and all all frustrated. But I wasn't able to say that to my daughter because that's the worst thing I can say to her. Mm -hmm. So it was really me kind of writing it out exactly how I was feeling. And maybe I'd kind of screw it up or maybe I would just write it in my diary. And then... And then sometimes I would also celebrate some wins. If something worked quite well, then I would, I would kind of go, well, actually, this is quite funny, or this is quite, so I started from both aspects, um, as, I, as I was writing. And then also, I found that I was quite—I got quite anxious sometimes at mealtime. So, when you've got, you know, three snacks a day, three mm-hmm. meals a day, and I got to the point where I was—I was feeling anxious because I knew what was ahead of me. I knew how awful it was going to be, and to me, it felt a bit like a minefield. That there, there was a bomb, and even the food was the bomb. And no matter how much gingerly I placed the bomb on there, I never quite know when it was going to go off, could go off in a few seconds. It could go off, it could go off later. And, and sometimes I'd be impacted by that. Or sometimes we both be impacted by it. And sometimes after it, we were both we were like, absolutely exhausted and ripped, if you like, from all of the, all of what was going on. And I thought, I've got to find a different way to communicate with her because she's just, you know, when, when, when you see in that level of distress, that I just had to do something. So having looked and attended a few courses, I used to scribble a few things down so that they would be next to me. And I'd kind of like, right, these are the kind of the things that I'm gonna try today. And I'd write that kind of in my book, if you like. And it started really from that. And then when you mentioned earlier on about the parents and seeing other parents through their journey, that really, that really hit home because often I felt alone. Often I wasn't able to, um, I was with a partner at that time, and unfortunately the relationship didn't last. And I got to the point where I wasn't able to talk to him about it. I wasn't able to tell him how awful my day was um, because he didn't quite understand or, or because I was so consumed in it. He didn't want to hear it every day, day in, day out. So I would keep it into myself and I wasn't able to talk to my daughter about it, obviously, and I and there's only so much I could talk to my friends. So, And it was just joining the online groups that I cured somebody else saying how much that they were feeling alone or, or they wanted to run away. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's not just me because I got to a point where I remember it was such an awful time, awful meal time. And my keys were there and I grabbed my keys and I wanted to run away. And but I couldn't. My feet were stuck, but my mind had gone. My mind was going down the motorway. My mind was in Australia. I'd got my passport in my hand and I'd gone, but my feet were stuck there because I knew I couldn't leave. I knew that she needed me. But for that split few minutes, I just was enjoying getting out of there. I just had to go. And I felt bad afterwards because I was like, I can't do that. How can I do that? How can I leave her? That's really awful. And I had the awful things about being a parent and I'm not a very good parent if I do that. But then listening to others, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm just like everyone else. They So and so. I thought, well, if I feel like that, then maybe somebody else does, um, which is why I thought, actually, maybe if I write something down for others, they might feel, actually, that they don't feel such a rubbish parent, that what they're feeling is perfectly normal, And that might help them because sometimes I'd start with good intentions and I'd go, right, okay, this is it. You've got this, Emma, today. Right, the ED going down. That's it. You've got it. And then maybe I'd do the first breakfast and I'd be thinking, oh, my gosh, it's only 7 o'clock. And I feel as if I've had – I feel as if I've been in a boxing ring already. But, yeah, I've got all this more ahead of me. And having somebody else saying, actually, do you know what? They've had a pretty awful day kind of makes me feel a little bit better, that it's not just me. And that's really kind of why I started writing it. But it, I found it quite cathartic. It was quite a way that I could do that. And it sounds daft now, but even now I'll pick up my book and then I'll go and I'll read some of it because it's, it's you forget sometimes, don't you, about the things that I found that helped. And I need those memories sometimes of those to jog my memory about things that helped me because sometimes when we're in that moment we forget
0: yeah I don't think that sounds silly at all because I listened back to my podcasts and I hadn't done it because I thought "My, that's way too silly like what? I don't want to listen back to my own voice and my mum listens to my podcast as well because she's a, a big big fan of everything that I do which is wonderful um and she'll send me a text and be like you need to listen back to this one because it was really good advice (laughs) and sometimes I'll be like wandering along and I'm like oh my god like how did I say that like apparently I know what to do (laughs) um or like I navigated that situation before and that really helped me and and journaling is actually something that I have always said hell no not doing it at all um and recently I've started and it it I think the, the art, or not the art, but the kind of, what's the word? The activity, that's not the right word, but like putting it down onto paper, it not only takes it out of your brain, so mm-hmm. it's not spiralling anymore, but it also makes you slow down because there's no way that you can write as quickly as your brain is swirling. So I found that really useful to kind of navigate those like really kind of high anxiety, stressful moments. Um, and I'm just wondering in terms of any other things that you did, like during, you know, those moments when you just wanted to escape or, you know, those moments when you're in the hospital and, and the doctor tells you that he's not sure about Poppy. Like, how on earth do you navigate or did you navigate those kind of moments?
1: Um, yeah, that's really hard. So I think for, for me, the last one... Um, when when the consultant said, you know, I, I can't guarantee she's not going to come through this, you know, I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is, you know, this is the closest we've ever been, even though we've been there before. Um, and it was awful seeing on the intensive care, seeing her with a tube in, seeing her with everything, you know, she was obviously bed bound, all that kind of things. So and them saying to me, look, you can stay here all the time. Um, and I just thought, oh my gosh, this is really bad. And and I did go home that night um, because it was quite late that they transferred her. And, and I said I'd be there the next day. And I was very fortunate because I can work from home. I was able to take my laptop. I was able to work from home and she needed that. So she said to me afterwards, mum, I'm really pleased that you did that. And And I suppose for me, I was thinking, actually, if I spent the time in the day with her, then at night I could spend the time with my son. So I was trying to think of that balance, if you like. Um, And you you, you try not to look at the stats, if that makes sense. And you know that things are going to progress really slow. So I thought there's no point in me looking at the heart rate. It's still going to be 26 beats per minute, but she's okay. And, you know, you're kind of like waiting for the phone to ring. Is it going to ring? Is she going to be okay? And waiting for a text. You're like, Oh my gosh, she's okay. So you were, I was kind of on edge all the time, but after a few days, it sounds really strange, but I had this inner belief. I couldn't really describe it that I knew that she was going to be okay. And I did not entertain in my head that she wasn't. I just thought, no, it's not happening. And I'm so glad (laughs) as you can probably, uh, That I'm so glad that she was okay, but I just had this inner calm and I thought, do you know what? It's not happening. It's not happening. It's not going to happen. We've survived the two. I've worked damn hard (laughs) for two years. There's no way this is going to happen. And and then I think it took a few weeks and you could see the changes. You could see the sparkle in her eyes. You could see her come alive again. And and when you get to that point, you go, it's going to be okay. We're going to be okay. But... I couldn't describe it to you. I just thought she's going to be fine. I know she's going to be fine. And I've always held on to the belief with her that good things are going to come out of this, you know, and and she's scribbling now. So she's writing notes herself. So she wants to, she wants to write a book from a teenager's perspective. Um, And if she doesn't, that's fine. And if she does, that's great as well. But even if it helps her like it has with me in the very beginning, but yeah, I just had that kind of inner belief. And I still believe that now that that we are going to get out of this um, and we will, we will get there. And again, I can't really describe it to you, but maybe it's my stubbornness. I'm not quite sure. Maybe it's my determination. <laughs> um, and maybe she's got some of that as well that I just think, no, it's going to be OK. But it was hard. And I think in the very beginning, I did really struggle with that and I didn't sleep very well. And I was completely exhausted because that's all I thought about. Um, and I think to be fair, I didn't, I didn't really cope. I didn't really cope in the beginning, but I've got some amazing friends. I've got a really, really good friend that we literally will, we we, we sometimes we end up in stitches because she she will talk to me about what's going on in her life and I can't stop laughing sometimes even though it's really bad it's nothing related to eating disorders and she and she'll start you know giggling and, and by the end of it we've kind of we've kind of laughed at each other's miseries if you like because um and I think sometimes for me having a sense of humor really really helps um and and uh, I don't know whether to share this story with you, but one of the things that um, one of the things with Poppy, uh, she's on a meal plan, and um, she doesn't always let me do it all the all the meals for herself. So we have to kind of weigh things out, and we do it together because that's at that point where we're trying to kind of transition her off the meal plan or trying to, um, and she'd got to I think it was something like 101 grams, and it should have been 100 grams. And she, you could see the level of distress that was in her body. And I don't know why I did it. I have no idea why I did it. But I started to, and I started saying to her, oh my gosh, we can't be, we cannot be 101 grams because if we're 101 grams the world's going to end and oh my gosh, it's going to blow up. And what are we going to do? <gasps> That's it. Game over. And I just went on for a few minutes and looked at her face and she was like, what is if?" you doing (laughs) mum and then she started taking the mickey out of me so she started going oh my gosh it can't be 98 grams oh my word no way can (laughs) that be 98 grams poppy can it it's got to be 100 and then we just started both giggling but what was really good is we got to 101 grams which that one gram does not sound huge to some people but others will get it because that one gram going over the meal plan Is a massive thing for somebody who's really focused on it has to be a hundred grams or less. So for me, sometimes laughing, I know it sounds awful, but when she has been in distress, sometimes I've had to laugh Mm. and, and then she's joined in, not all the time because it's not always, it's not always appropriate, (laughs) but sometimes if I kind of get the giggles or the dog will come in and do something silly, it just breaks that tension sometimes. Mm. So for me, having a sense of humor sometimes looking on the positive things and I'm my my mantra has always been find a way to so find a way through the day find the way if you like to get through that that she can eat the food or find the way for me to get through the day um that's kind of been something that I've really held on and yeah definitely sense of humor definitely that's what you need yeah
0: <laughs> absolutely I mean I always say to my mum uh if I make a joke and she's like Hannah, if you don't laugh, you'll just cry about it. So you might as well. But I think you're totally right. And I mean, two things about that instant with the weighing. I think one, you know, when you're super stressed and you're watching somebody do something, to actually just be taken away from the moment is like the best thing to do. Um, Because I can imagine she was just like, well, what the hell is going on? And then it it takes you from, you know, that focus of of what's being done. But also to like see you kind of act out what she's thinking it's like yeah that is actually ridiculous (laughs) I don't mean that in a horrible way in the slightest I've been there a thousand times myself but often my mum will do the same thing she'll like say what I'm thinking I'm like eh that's barbaric like how are you how are you even thinking that um but it really yeah it really does help actually one thing that I because I often use a sense of humor thing as well when I can see that my mum's stressing um and my grandpa is unfortunately um, in a care home with dementia, but the food that they get there is bloody amazing. And we were sat with him once and he they brought out this tray and it was, it was only snack time. He'd had his breakfast like an hour and a half ago and he'd got like two mini rolls, a packet of crisps, four biscuits. And I was like, can we sign me up here? Because I think this is the kind <laughs> of drink that I need. And she just looked at me and I was like, might work though. <laughs> um, but, you know i think things like that is it is really important like say to have a sense of humor because it's the only thing that gets you through um and i think having that sense of humor it brings back the person kind of back you know the person that you actually know um and that i think can often kind of help you to hold on to hope to know that they're still in there um but i think you're completely right in that you know hopefully something good will come out of it and like you say most people i know that have been through this i mean i'd say all of them they come out such a stronger person because you've had to fight with those inner demons that can be so difficult yeah definitely. Um, i wanted to read a little extract from the book um this was the bit that i was like how on earth does she know this <laughs> uh so i'm gonna read it and then i'm gonna ask you yeah a few questions about it so please excuse me listeners for talking for a a segment of time um but here we go so imagine that you are being bombarded with thoughts from when you get up in the morning until the moment you go to bed not positive uplifting thoughts but thoughts filled with hatred and self-loathing such as that's not good enough you are stupid you are selfish you are useless you would be better dead than alive you're a burden no one loves you you're a pig eating all of that food you're going to be so fat. No one will want you. No one will love you. And there is no rest from it. Now add into the mix others asking you to sit down at the table where you'll face the fear that scares you the most. Not just once, but up to three to six times a day. You know the only way to for the pain to stop is to obey the voice. You know from experience that if you don't obey the voice, the comments will be louder, more belittling and more destructive. Each comment rips more away from you. You give up hope that you'll be ever free of the voice. You feel that you have no choice but to just give in as you just want a moment of peace. So, I mean, how did you get that so unbelievably accurate?
1: I think for me, what I've tried to do is I, for me to help Poppy, I needed to understand what she was going through. I think that was really important for me because I wasn't able to, one thing I've learned through this journey is is, it's better sometimes to validate. So the worst thing I could ever say to her was, oh, I understand, or, you know, or or anything like that, because she's like, how can you understand because you're not in my shoes? So for me, I used to say to her, "Well, tell me what's going on. And I wanted to genuinely know, because um, I wanted to then really put myself in the shoes. So I, so I'd often say to her then, If I was to put myself in your shoes, I could imagine that maybe your head is saying to you this right now or maybe this is happening. And you could sometimes see then she'd kind of nod her head. So I've kind of got that connection. And by me taking that time, if you like, to understand, then she she kind of worked with me a little bit more, if that makes sense. So I was able to connect with her and it was a way of calming her down. So I was able to say to her, look, I'm really sorry. This sucks right now. And so I would validate how she feels. And I can imagine your head is saying to you right now that you are this, you are that, you are this. And she'd kind of, and it would just help calm her down. And I think, and she'd say, actually, mum, you've got it. Um and I think one of the things that I I have done when I was writing the book, she hasn't read it all, because there's things that she 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 won't read, or there's because it's too upsetting some of the things, if that makes sense. It brings too many memories back. And maybe she never reads that and that's fine. Um, but when she read that, she said, Yeah, mum, that's exactly how it is. And I and I wanted to understand because I we talk a lot, don't we, about eating disorders. And these are, you know, this is my daughter. And how can I help him? I don't really understand. Mm-hmm. But also for me, I wanted to understand other people's perspective. And I know that's not everybody's, you know, other people will have different things that they will have different perspectives or they'll have different things that it says. But it, I needed to know if that makes sense. I needed to understand what she was going through. And and even just hearing that now, it just really pulls on me because Nobody should have to feel that nobody. And I have often say to her, you know, her for her, she has rules from the time she gets up in the morning to the time that she goes to bed. She, and I say to her, sometimes it's like chains, you know, and how awful is it that you've got these chains saying to you, you can't eat this and you can't eat that. Cause I can just go and open the cupboard and help myself and, and have what I want. And And I said, so should you. And so should anybody have that. And it's really helped me by understanding. And also what we've done together is we're, we're doing a bit of a cartoon series um, called Ed and Flow and I kind of started this really to help her so the ed as you can imagine there's two monsters so ed is the um eating disorder monster if you like we call it monsters because it was just easier and a lot of people class the eating disorder as a monster and then we've also got a flow and we kind of how my daughter and I see it is you've kind of got both of them in your head you've got the thoughts and sometimes the ed is the loudest one or it's the one that they are able to tune into but the other thoughts are there the quieter one the the one that's not necessarily heard all the time. And I sometimes say to her, it's a bit like a radio. And I'm going to show my age now where you kind of tune the radio in, don't you, the FM radio in, and, and I sometimes say to her that actually we need to probably tune Ed out and we need to kind of tune in flow. And she came up with something which I thought was really amazing. And she says, go with the flow mom so i was like oh my gosh so we're gonna call it flow <laughs> so mm-hmm. we start in this cartoon season it's only in the infancy stages to be fair and and it's only when she has the energy to do that so there's kind of no pressure on her but she's been talking to me if you like about what the edge is saying so i'm able to understand a little bit more but by, by, by her doing that then i can use the example actually what would flow say now Maybe you need to turn into flow, so I'm kind of maybe being a little bit sneaky with it if that makes sense too, but also I'm hoping that it helps others as well to see that that voice is there, but it's kind of yeah. hidden under the the eating disorder voice, and sometimes we need to tune into that um but i and I write in my book though that my heart seriously goes out to anybody that has an eating disorder because it must be so awful. So she described it to me that, you know, if she was going to do a test or she was going to do go into school, that noise is so loud. And I think, how would I concentrate? You know, if, if I'm in an office and there's so many people talking, I can't always concentrate. And that's just at that snippet. But she has that day in, day out. Yeah. I, it just sounds awful. So so honestly my hat goes off to anybody that's going through this because it's such an awful illness and everybody deserves to be free of this it really it just really um it's a really awful illness isn't it yeah yeah
0: and um, what you just said about the sort of you know constantly having that voice in your head I think that's a really valid thing for you know somebody supporting somebody to recognize, and it's really good to highlight that because I often find that I'll have that voice in my head, which is feels so much more intense because it's in your head. Um, and then if you've got people talking around you, it I often get really really flustered and then maybe snap or whatever. And I think that can be really difficult to navigate. But if somebody's got an understanding of that, that's going on in your head, I think that would completely change sort of the dynamic and, and how you kind of approach different things. But I absolutely love the Ed and flow. I think <laughs> that is absolutely brilliant. And me and your daughter sound so similar because I also have like a story, um, in, in my head of my, I'm basically like a princess slayer and the Eaton Soda is the dragon. And I've got all my friends behind me going up, fighting the dragon. Um, but it's really useful to, that i found, to have that that separation and be able to say, okay, what would they do right now, Um, rather than maybe listening to the eating disorder, and I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but what you were describing about sort of like that critical voice, and then, you know, maybe the quieter voice, um, and tuning those in, so the therapy that I'm doing at the moment is um, emotion-focused therapy, and that, talks about all the different parts that you have and one thing that I have come to realize only over the past few weeks is that I've always referred to the eating disorder as like a part on its own and actually and this might not be the same for everybody but this has been my realization is that the eating disorder actually isn't a thing on its own just like I'm not a thing on my own but like it's an amalgamation of different parts so like you know it's a very critical or it's like a very It's like a lot of the vulnerable child or like the angry child and stuff like that. And actually, it's not about, because I think when you say to someone like you've got to get rid of your eating disorder, that it feels like, oh my God, you know, I have navigated 12 years of my life. I have no idea how to cope without it. But actually, it's not about taking something away. It's just like you say, it's tuning it. I always think of like a DJ deck, like... (laughs) tuning it a little bit um in that you know we need to we need to turn up the volume on you know that compassionate voice and um the healthy adult but actually you might just need to turn down the critical voice they actually really help you um because you know you just mentioned your determination that you think Poppy has and I think my determination that's a brilliant characteristic in life because I always get really far but actually being determined it's kind of like changing what you're determined at and stuff so yeah, it's so lovely to kind of hear how much you get it. And I can imagine that for Poppy, that's helped so much mm-hmm. that you understand, because I think often a lot of the friction comes from not understanding and not getting it. And I think it's a big ask for anybody to sort of understand and to get it. And I think from the person's perspective of the person with the eating disorder, I've always tried well, not always, definitely not always, more recently, tried to and tried to think like they don't necessarily get it. And actually, if somebody did say something, I was in, um, was at the gym the other day and I saw a friend I'd not seen for a while and he did the whole, like, how are you? And I was like, yeah, good, thanks. And he was like, no, how are you? I was like, yeah, things aren't that like, great at the moment. And he was like, you know, I'm really sorry if I say the wrong thing. Like, I just don't really know. And I was like, actually, when you do say the wrong thing, that's actually more helpful sometimes than you saying the right thing because it makes me think hmm, why did what he just say affected me obviously I'm now in a better place where I can sort of navigate that and do that and I think when you're at the start of things you can't necessarily do that um but sometimes you will say the wrong thing you're not going to get it perfect every time but that could actually be a really helpful thing to say in the long run to help somebody kind of focus in on hmm, I didn't like that why
1: didn't I like that uh, yeah and I think that's really good so I think one of the things that I found I didn't get I didn't understand it in the beginning well sometimes I was so frustrated so I have done a cringe now cringe moment but I have done that when I've just been so frustrated because she's not eating and I just want to say well yeah just eat it's only mashed potato <laughs> and then afterwards then you kind of have that guilt because you're thinking, "Oh my gosh," and and you know I've I've fed into the eating disorder because now it doesn't want to eat because I've made her so upset by going, "Why don't you just eat it?" Um, and by understanding it, you, you get it. But I think the thing is, we are human, and we do get it wrong and our emotions sometimes we can't always, you know, we can struggle with those. So there are moments sometimes where I might say the wrong thing. And then I, you know, I will say afterwards, I'm really sorry um, that that I said that, you know, it wasn't intentional. It wasn't meant like that, you know, or or sometimes I want, I want her out of this really quickly. So sometimes I see this a bit like snakes and ladders (laughs) Um, and, you know, I want, I want Poppy to get to the top. I want it to get to 100 so that she can have her life whatever way she wants to have her life. And I found it so frustrating sometimes where we've had to start again, we've gone down the snake. Um, And I sometimes think it's a bit like, you know, I think i used to cheat actually to be fair when i was younger with games and i'm sure my kids did too you know you you roll a dice don't you and you try and get a higher number than what you actually had but with the eating disorder it doesn't roll the dice so it finds a way to manipulate the dice so that, that you don't go up the ladder or it finds a way to hit the snake so we find ourselves back down the bottom and it's so frustrating because you know you you know that you've got to get you know you've got to get up to the top again and it is i find that it is really difficult when you've kind of got that self sabotage and as parents we don't always get it right and sometimes i've thought oh no i've blown it now because she's even more upset there's no way she's going to eat now and i've had to i've had to really calm myself down and 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 kind of restart if you like on that but we are human and, and I do talk about that in my book because I think it's really important that we do make mistakes, we're not perfect. Um, and I thought it was really important that we recognize that. And one of the things that you said, Hannah, this is something that Poppy says is, we talk a lot, don't we, there's quite a lot of talk sometimes about monsters in, you know, from the eating disorder. And she really struggled with that because she said to me, it's part of me, just as you have said, it's part of me. So by people saying to me, actually, it's a monster. She said, it's kind of, but that is me. So you're trying to get me not to like a part of me. So she really struggled with, with that. And, and I think in a way that we spoke about that actually it was trying to protect it, but not in the right way. It was, you know, it was trying to, it was kind of in that fight and flight response, quite extreme, thinking it was doing her good, but actually in a way it wasn't. And what we have to do is we have to find ways to allow it to calm down so that it, we, it, it can protect her in the right way. And I think for her, very much the similar things that you're doing is that she could recognize that is a part of her and so she doesn't have to let that go but then she has to kind of focus on the other bits if you like and fine-tune the tune the other bits um there but that was something that she she said further on down the line um it wasn't necessarily something that she thought of in the beginning
0: mm-hmm. yeah and i think that's the thing with everything isn't it it's it's great obviously you know sharing these things but it does take time to come to realise. And, you know, I, I just said then, I've had this for 12 years. Like, that's not... It, I'm often very conscious that, you know, we talk on the podcast and, you know, it seems like we're very self-aware and we've got it together and stuff. But everybody every day is still learning, you know, the best way to navigate it. And you are doing an absolutely fantastic job of of supporting Poppy. Um, and But, you know, I'm sure it's not been you know you've not known all of this information from the start and it, it does take time to learn and that can be so frustrating because it just it feels like you're banging your head against a brick wall of when on earth is this ever going to change but I think the more that you do sort of stick at it and persist you do then start to see those little changes and I think um that was kind of what you were saying earlier in that those little changes and what can be motivated like it can be so difficult to stay motivated in this sort of thing and it will just feel like things aren't going to change. But those nuggets of of hope I think can be really important to just hold on to. And that's something that I have always tried to write down. Um, you know, me and my mum went out for a cookie the other day and we shared a cookie and we like took a picture of it um because it obviously was like a, a D shape so it looked like a smiley face. And I just thought that was massive and also that's something I'm going to hold on to. And on the darkest days remember more moments like that can happen if you keep pushing
1: yeah definitely i think those are really important and that's something that i i'm trying to do that with poppy so that we have those moments we have some of some of those silly moments and we've got a lovely photo together um, and we managed to get our, we managed to get our dog in the middle and we're sort of kind of doing the heart shape. And she's laughing at me because I'm really not coordinated. And she's <laughs> like, Mum, you've used the wrong arm. I was like, Oh my gosh. So we have to take the photo again because I'd used the wrong arm to make the heart. And then hers was so good. And mine was, and there was no way, there was no way <laughs> it was a heart shape. But it's those kind of moments, isn't it? That, that uh, make you laugh. And it just brings another memory of back where we, um, uh, cuz i come from wales originally we went to the seaside um a little while ago and i forgot to take a towel with me so we sat on the uh, sat on the sand and it was kind of a little bit a little bit wet and i thought oh we'd be fine and we've got up, uh, you can imagine can't you our clothes were completely wet my bottom was was wet and we were walking around so i had to take my coat off and uh, and she was a little bit kind of oh mum, that wasn't very nice was it and i said actually i think it was great I said, because we're always going to remember that moment of me walking around with with, with my trousers all wet as we walk (laughs) around the pier. And I said, actually, those moments are really precious. So sometimes it doesn't always have to work out right. And and, and to this day, we still laugh about that now. Do you remember when? But I said, if it was perfect and they'd gone, we wouldn't remember it. It would have just been something that we hadn't. So I think having those moments, doesn't matter how small or how silly, really do help me get through and and I know the other thing you mentioned is hope and that's one thing that I hold on and and I know through this journey sometimes it's faded or sometimes it's flickered but I've always I've always had that hope that we are going to get there and and she will be able to have the life she wants and And Hannah, one of the things that I struggled with, because I said to my daughter, I said, We're not there yet. And you know, should I really be publishing my book when when we're not actually there? I don't have all the answers, we're not where we want to be. And and she said, Mum actually, Mum, yes. Because, you know, with this illness, it it isn't a straight line. As much as I want to get to that top of that stakes and ladders, it isn't. And there's still more ladders for us to climb. And the eating disorder is still going to be sneaky at some time and and try and pull her down. And I have to kind of be watching. But she said, actually, yes, mum, because it's real, isn't it? And that's the thing. This is real life. And you think that sometimes you get there and you're like, Oh, no, you haven't, but I know that I'm not going to give up. So maybe I am stubborn. Maybe I am determined, but I do have that hope. And that was really my ambition really for my book. That was my main goal that I just wanted it to be an honest account. Of all the highs and the lows, because I think for me, I didn't want to go. Yeah, I've got all the answers. Yeah, this is what you need to do, because it isn't like that. And everybody's experience is different. And if I could just help one person to reignite that hope, or have a giggle, or have a laugh at some of the things that we that I've done, or I've said, or the things that they could go. Actually, yeah, I, I felt like that. Then, then that that is it. That that was that made me. That meant a lot to me. Mm, yeah, but well, we have certainly had
0: a giggle so <laughs> hopefully and it's been lovely I have found it lovely to chat to you to kind of be like yeah you know it, it's not just me going through it. it's not just my mum sort of thing um and also you know I'd love the fact about that memory that you just shared because there was no mention of an eating disorder in that and that is that I think is so important to hold on to those moments as well of you know they can happen and they definitely will happen um And writing your book, I think one thing that's really important, like you've just said, is you're not there yet. And often I think in this space, it can be people that have recovered and it can seem like it was a straight line and they've got all this stuff sorted out. And that is wonderful to hear that people have recovered and they've got to a place where they're better. But when you're in the depth of it and you're not there yet, that can be like, oh, like how the hell did I get there because I've not got it all worked out so the fact that you've written it from the perspective of still working things out and being honest that you don't get it right every day is I think the best kind of way to to approach it um so the book is gonna be out I don't know whether it will be out when I release this or whether it will soon be out but I feel like so many people want to rush and buy it. So where can they find it? What's it called? Give me all the
1: details. <laughs> well, it comes out. I'm so excited. It comes out the 29th of March. And, okay. and they, I've had a delivery today of, 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 of the books, which is really exciting. So I'm trying not to open them yet. Um, <laughs> but, but I do have a website. So that's um, ebercarter.co.uk. Um, which has all the information and it has all the sort of thing about myself and it's called Slaying Monsters, Dodging Donuts. Um and uh, I just hope. So I suppose like I so say my ambition is even if it just helps one person, then it's worth it. That and it definitely is worth it if it can just help that one person. But it's really exciting and and on the website i've just got some useful resources if you like just some like the beat the contact details that some of the some of the ones that i've used because i think so if nobody buys the book then that's fine you know but maybe look at just look at that from that point of view where there are some of the resources that i found really helpful absolutely well
0: emma thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you and i wish the best for, for you poppy and jordan um, going forward, I really hope that you, wherever there is,
1: I hope that you get them. <laughs> Thank you so much, Hannah. I've really enjoyed it.
0: If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode, so be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.